the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Well, hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Aubrey Sampson alongside my co-host, Brian Fromm. And we are so thrilled because we have a friend in the studio today. Keith Draper, who is the Regional Director of Church Relations for World Relief, is with us. Keith also is a family friend of ours, part of Mm -hmm. our Church Renewal Church. So, Keith, thanks so much for being here today. Glad to join you. And in person, too. Yeah, in person, in studio. We we love it. Uh, We used to have to do a lot of these interviews online, so it's fun to be back in the studio. Um, Okay, Keith, you you told us, and I know this about you, but you told us off-air you are a dad of 10. I am. And your family's kind of this mixed, beautiful family. Also, you have this commitment to world relief, but I know there's a connection there. So can you give us a little bit of your background and how this plays into your call at world relief? Sure. I mean, it's funny. It goes all the way back to my wife and I dating one another and just uh, conversations about what we want to spend the rest of our life doing. Mm. And I, I said, you know, I think my call is to the nation's and I don't know where in the world that will take me through the years, but I have to be able to say yes. Wow. And I said, if you're not comfortable with that, I really don't want to go further. I yeah. mean, this is kind of one of those deeper conversations. That's right. Yep, before marriage, yep. you know? That's right. <laughs> and I said, but what are you called to? What do you really want to be about? And she said, well, most people think it's my art. She was an illustrator, oh. did children's books, wow. things like that. And she said, most people think it's my art, but it's really children. And she said, I'd like to have children of my own, but I'd also like to care for children that wow. don't have parents. Wow. But then she said, I think I could do that anywhere in the world. Uh, <laughs> so we kind of knew missions, the nations and kids were going to be what came together in our wow. marriage. And that's how it's been for 30 years now. So. I'm always so impressed amazing. when people had uh, adult conversations like that. <laughs> they they got <laughs> we were older. We were older. You know. I won't say how old there for my wife. Go. My wife not wanting me to, but yes, we were older when we married. That's so. impressive. Yeah. That's really impressive. Uh, World Relief. I think most of our audiences is, is familiar with them. Matt Sorens comes on here often, mm-hmm. but for no. those who aren't, describe what is at the heartbeat. What is World Relief all about? You know, I, I think if you were to say it in a phrase, it's really empowering the local church mm. to serve the vulnerable. And as you think about where we are in, in the Chicagoland area here, and I think this is a Chicago audience, mm-hmm. is it right? Yeah. Yep. You know, we're really at a crossroads of really two major intersections of what is happening in our globe. And that's both the urbanization of our world, but also global migration. Mm. And so really helping the church, um, you know, serve the vulnerable here for us really is about dealing with people who've migrated or immigrated from all over the world, wow. most of them not by their choice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I would love for you to unpack some of that more, Keith, because I think sometimes um, we can get caught up in the stories we hear, but that's different than the reality of what's going on and ultimately the heart of God for refugees. So yeah. for our listeners who are followers of Jesus, you, you know, give us a picture of what's happening 
in our country right now with refugees, but also, like, why should this matter to the Christian? Yeah, I, I think I like to use the word newer neighbors. Mm, um, I love because, that. Because I think there's a new crowd that God has brought our way in these <laughs> That's days. That's awesome. And the, the newer neighbors really over the past 18 months would start with what happened with Af- Afghanistan. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I mean, we, yeah. we were told within six weeks we would have as many as... Um, 900 coming in that we would be working with. Wow. Um, and so had to quickly make plans for that, um, being evacuated out of their country. Then in February, we uh, got the word of the you know outbreak in Ukraine. Mm-hmm. And so mm, yeah. it was really a trickle. I mean, most people were internally displaced initially, and then they moved to the borders, uh, a lot of their family members to try to protect them. Mm. And so that put them in Romania, Poland, Moldova, around those regions. Yeah. And now that movement has started coming this way. And so we we know of currently almost 30,000 applications to Chicagoland for Ukrainians to come here. Wow. Uh, primarily here to the northwest suburbs. Wow. And so huge need for the church in those settings. And then you add to that, you know, what happens at the southern border, Venezuelans uh, who are trying to find a way to seek asylum and start life over. And and then finally, I mean, the earthquake and what happened Mm. with Syria and Turkey, just huge migrations of people. So those are the kinds of things that we yeah. are very quickly involved in and trying to involve the church in. Wow. Yeah. And so what yeah. does church involvement look like? Uh, Aubrey and I, as you know, are both pastors. So yeah. uh, I, I guess a two-part question, what do you look for in churches? What can they do? Mm-hmm. And do you find a lot of receptivity from churches in wanting to help? You know, I, I think one of the things I do in terms of laying groundwork is really just try to give a biblical basis for mm-hmm. the work that we do. I mean, I, I think we think about it as a contemporary issue. Yeah. I mean, when you think about the scripture, it's just full of those experiences. I mean, all the way, if you don't mind my using com- modern language to describe it, you know, uh, the deportation of Adam and Eve for mm. breaking the laws of the land, all the way to John and in, in Revelation, yeah. you know, basically yeah. is an exile uh, and um, political refugee being mm-hmm. put in a place to write the book of Revelation and everything in between. Mm. Joseph for human trafficking. Yeah. I mean, you could just take the displacement of people all the way through the scriptures so I think when people see it as a biblical view of God is at work bringing good out of evil in those mm-hmm. kind of circumstances, yeah. it's easier for churches to see a part to play. Mm. It's changed over time. I would say I came on about eight years ago working with World Relief after a career working with churches. And when I came on, I think we really initially at the front end thought, let's work with our base, which was largely uh, large churches, Mm -hmm. uh, often Mm multi-site. And we've really expanded now to not just those, but mid-size and smaller. And our fastest growing segment is actually immigrant congregations. (gasps) No way! So we've gone from over the past eight years from about 45 partners to now over 400 partner churches here in Chicagoland. So it's become a much more diverse Mm -hmm. base. Mm And when you go small and large and across all kinds of culture and language, then there's there's ways to be involved, not just what big churches do, yeah. but what can a house church do? Mm-hmm. We've had generous house churches support mm. what we're up to. Uh, we've got immigrant congregations that are spending time just building friendships and mm. relationships with people. 
So we, it's not a one-size-fits-all sure. kind of thing. Yeah. But we definitely see that there's a place for the church at the table to address a huge need right mm. now, especially with the arrival of so many. And, mm. Keith, I, you know, there's still a lot of big-picture stuff to talk about. Mm-hmm. We're glad to have you back to keep talking. Um, but I, I guess I do want to ask for our listeners who are like, okay, I want my church to help. Uh, what, are some of the, uh, what are some of the opportunities for mm-hmm. churches? Yeah. I, I would say, really, if, if I could boil it down, it'd probably be in two arenas. I mean, the first one, I would say, is is to see it as something that you should be praying about. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, what is God calling you to do yeah. in this circumstance? Yeah. Um, and I think that will lead you to involve your church and mm-hmm. what's there. Beyond those prayers, I think to think about what you could do to maybe give in some way. Um, you know, people do sometimes just give financially, mm-hmm. but... Uh, and and we don't reject that. <laughs> right, you're right. You're good with that. I'm sure my boss is listening. There you, you know, go. There you go. Uh, so, I mean, giving is certainly what underwrites uh, really over half of our budget is private giving from churches mm-hmm. and individuals. Um, but beyond that, I think ways of building relationships with the families that we're serving. So we do that through volunteering, helping mm. people see ways that they mm. can volunteer, some practical ways of helping with English or... Yeah tutoring with kids, um, do things as practical as helping pick up someone at the airport, Mm. set up an apartment. Um, You know, we have people who are friendship partners, which means we just ask you to check in on a family once a week and see how they're doing. Or a good neighbor team, do that as a group. Yeah. Um, And they're one time. We always say there's, you know, there's one time opportunities, individual and group. Um, And Think about those four different ways. Maybe we want to just get some taste of it. So let's yeah. try a one-time individual or one-time group event. Yeah. And what we found is it's like a snowball. You know, people mm-hmm. see it. They see the resiliency of the people that we've served. They see how God is changing them and the people mm-hmm. they're with. And it, it takes care of itself after that. It's, yeah, it becomes so cool. an ongoing. Keith, for our listeners who may not be familiar with the work, work of World Relief, can you just give us kind of a broad overview? Like, what is it that World Relief is all about? You know, it's a Christian humanitarian organization that is both local and global. Mm-hmm. Um, and it really is about empowering the local church to serve the vulnerable. Mm. So how can we help the church see those who are most vulnerable in our society um, and for global settings, that can be around hunger, yeah. women's rights, I mean, yeah. all kinds of issues that um, impact people in different parts of the world. For the United States, it's really been around people who are displaced mm. and how do we help people who are really in a place where they've lost everything begin to rebuild their lives. Yeah. And, you know, what a what a place for the church to be in those times. Totally. Um, I coached church planners for many mm. years. And mm. you know, one of the things we'd always say is look at where your community is changing. And those are where those opportunities are for mm. growth and learning. Mm. And it's because when people are new to a setting, they're trying to figure out life and mm. they need help to do that. Yeah. And so to have the church in that setting when people are displaced and are starting life over is a really critical time. Yeah. Really blessed blessed yeah. time, I would see, sacred time. Yeah. yeah. So. That's cool. As Aubrey said, we love World Relief mm-hmm. and all that you guys are doing. Uh, but the idea of immigration, refugees, all of that, highly politicized. I don't need to tell you that, right, in, in, our, in yes. our world. So how do you answer people who are like, listen, we've got enough problems here. Mm. What are we worrying about out there? How do you talk to churches and individuals when they raise that? Yeah, I, I really try to draw it back to what the Scripture teaches mm-hmm. about this. I mean, you can trace from you know beginning of the Bible to the end of the Bible the displacement of people and God at work and mm-hmm. really— 
that quartet of the vulnerable is throughout the scripture, thinking about those who are in, are in poverty. Um, we often hear the widows and the orphans, mm-hmm. but the stranger is that fourth person That's in the right. quartet. Wow. And so how do we um, you know, love our neighbor as we love ourselves, And how do we welcome the stranger as mm-hmm. the Bible teaches us? So I think there's some things that are comfortable and easy. Some <laughs> things are challenging. Mm-hmm. Um, but I try to really take it away from being um, partisan in nature, mm-hmm. but really think about what is it God would want us to do. I was at a church um, several years ago. And when I finished the service, a man came up to me and said, I think I heard today's news from a biblical perspective <gasps> for the first time. Wow. Oh, that's great. Okay. He said, everything you're talking about, I hear in the news every day, mm. but I'd never thought about the biblical responsibilities mm. we have to it. You know? Wow. So, yeah. Keith, one of the things, a phrase you used in our earlier conversation was you like to think of the those coming to the country as our newer neighbors. Yes. And I love that, especially for the Christian call to love God and love our neighbor. Yeah. What do you think God would have us do? Like for those of us who are part of a church community, those of us who call ourselves followers of Jesus, we've got these newer neighbors coming in. What's mm-hmm. the posture that we should have? You know. I, I, I know there's a phrase, cultural humility. Mm. I think that hmm. that's a real important one in these settings. I mean, um, Jesus said it well to do unto others as you would have them do unto you. You know, yep. so it's not what you think, but what is it that you could do that you would want to be treated the same way mm. and helped? And so, putting yourself in their shoes, like how can I that's help good. this family that's really beginning life over and trying to figure out how to sort through life and I think when you think about it across the realm, God's at work in all of it. I yeah. mean, when you're working with a family that has been suffering for Jesus in some other part of the world, mm. um, should we as a brother and sister in Christ be there for them when they mm. come here? And if it's someone who has never heard the gospel, never met a Christian in their life, shouldn't what they see of you help them see Christ more? And so what would you do for them? What would you do for them to really see the beauty of who Christ is through Mm. who you are? Um, And to me, those are just all, you know, the whole gambit there. It's wonderful opportunities Mm -hmm. to serve him in those ways. Yeah. Keith, how do you see the future going? So a generation from now, just... You know, what's the makeup? Uh, how, what's the refugees yeah. look like? What, what is, yeah. Give us a generation snapshot in your mind. I, I think one of the things that I've observed is that we are, we are continuing to become more and more a global uh, yep. community here in Chicagoland. Um, in the city, we're already minority majority. Uh, yep. And the suburbs is about maybe seven years away from it being true out here as well. Um, and so with the change that's going on here, uh, how is God at work in that? And and what I look at, with, and this is just very practically, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, this is no big research, this is mm-hmm. just my experience, yeah. is that churches um, out this way need to continue to address the changes that are happening around mm-hmm. them. Mm-hmm. I love the way one pastor said to me, when I go to church, I see one crowd, and when I go to the Jewel Osco, I see a whole different Whoa. crowd. Or when I go to Walmart, mm-hmm. I see a totally different crowd. Yeah. And he said, I'd like my shopping crowd to get to know my church crowd. Oh, <laughs> I love that. You know? And mm. so how do, we, how do we see God at work in this changing demographic that yeah. we're in? And with that, I think it's been exciting to me to see the fastest growth of our church ties have been with churches that are dominantly immigrant it's in amazing. nature mm-hmm. and the kingdom of God is growing greatly among them. Yeah. Um, I've, I could tell story after story where, you know, people who were helping us uh, serve communities saw it as a great philanthropy or a generous kind of charitable thing to do. 
but just met people who were just so vibrant for mm. Christ that yeah. it completely changed them. Yeah. So a mutual transformation that took place there. This is one of the things that I actually really appreciate about unique uh, or about world relief and I, and is unique about world relief. And I've learned from world relief is this concept of like mutuality mm. when it comes mm-hmm. to serving. No. Um, can you unpack that a little bit? Yeah, I, I, I think, you know, I, I'm kind of the practitioner in this, so yeah. I'm not a good theoretical. But what I see in it is that when when you serve someone um, in a way that is humble, that cultural humility mm-hmm. that we talked about, um, you see how they bless you as you bless yeah. them. Yeah. We had a story that we did uh, on a, a person who had arrived here. Uh, it was the story of Annette and Jeanette. And it was a woman in a church who just wanted to become a friendship partner and build a relationship. And she completely saw it as a one-way thing initially. Mm-hmm. And um, and then she began to fight breast cancer. Mm. And none of her family lived immediate to her. And this woman that she had served as a friend to became her really adopted daughter Aww. to care for her through her time. Wow. And um, she realized how much of a blessing they were to each mm-hmm. other. So maybe that's just a real practical. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's but, amazing. You know, d- we can certainly... Th- Think about what can I do to help my brother or sister or family, but also to see how their life is blessing ours. And for the kingdom of God Mm -hmm. and the increasing, more global, diverse world that we're in here in Chicagoland, you know, God is at work among the nations. Mm -hmm. And uh, if we want to see our church continue to be at work, we can't become less and less of a population. We need to be more and more of Mm. a population. That's good. Mm. Really good. Keith, it's been great to have you. Where can people connect? Is an individual, a church leader is listening right now Mm -hmm. going, yeah, man, I want want to connect with World Relief. Where, Where should they go? I would say just go, our website's a great place. You can do a lot of perusing. Mm -hmm. So worldrelief.org slash Chicagoland. Um, And you can learn about ways that you could be giving. Like one of our huge practical things for families are welcome kits. Um, So those are things that we would use to set up the furnishings in an apartment. And so churches could collect things like that. We even do that online and can be done through Amazon and shipped directly to us. So a church doesn't even have to have a box yeah. to yeah. collect it, you know? Yeah. In fact, I love that our our renewal community is like our small group. We're doing a welcome kit right mm-hmm. now, and it's mm-hmm. been so fun because it is just like you if you're ordering from Amazon, you throw in some extra stuff. If you're going to Target, you pick up some things, and slowly we're watching our team come together and, like, check off the list and can't wait to finish that welcome kit to pass mm-hmm. on to World Relief. But that's a great example yeah. of a way that, that churches can get involved. Mm-hmm. And, and if you think about it, I mean, we have 100 refugees arriving in the next month. Mm. And every one of those, we're going to be helping set up that apartment or space that they're going to be in. And to, to furnish those takes a lot. Yeah. yeah. So we have people who drop off furniture to us, gently use furniture. We have people who collect those welcome kits, um, churches that do gift card uh, events. So they collect, you know, Walmart, Aldi, Target cards mm. that we can use for families. Good. Um, so just really practical, hands-on ways yeah. of giving. Um, and then serving, volunteering. We really, we need volunteers so desperately mm. in so many areas. And, you know, if you can be a friend to someone who's new, you can be a volunteer with us. And yeah, that's So good. be a friend to someone who's here and let us help introduce you to our newer neighbor. Yeah, And get a chance that. to know them better. Love that. Again, you can go to worldrelief.org slash Chicagoland to find out more. Keith Draper is the Regional Director of Church Relations for World Relief. And a friend of the show. There Keith, you go. thanks so much for being here with us today. Great to be with you. Thank you all for letting me come. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, we love it. You're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life.
Okay, Brian, I thought we would end the show. Tomorrow we're going to talk about things that make us happy, habits that make us happy. But I thought, I found this list that I thought was kind of entertaining. Happiness myths that make us miserable. (laughs) Things we believe. (laughs) Things we believe that actually are not, we think they're true about happiness, but they're actually not at all. So I'm going to share the first one with you. This is from The Happy Project. And what's interesting is I don't believe this is a Christian organization. This is not a Christian organization. So we'll have to see, like, what they say. But this one is so interesting to me. Here's the first myth. Happiness is a constant state. Mm. That is not true. The truth is happiness is not constant. We know this, right? Like, there's this idea that people call the arrival fallacy, where once you get to whatever level of success or achievement, then you'll be happy and you just stay happy from now on. But happiness is a fluctuating state that changes based on whatever, your mood, your sleep. Your experience, your day. The weather outside. Yeah, the weather outside. And so I think the one thing they say at Happy Project is don't think that once the, quote, happiness butterfly settles on you, it will stay that way forever. It's not supposed to. It's nope. not designed that way. I would like to meet this happiness butterfly. I would, too. I bet it's real cute. The second one is this. <laughs> uh, and we talk about it's so funny because so many of these are straight out of the Bible, quite frankly. Happiness depends on circumstances. Mm. They say the truth is. Happiness is not solely dependent on external circumstances. Many people believe how much happy we de- how much happy we depend on how good are your ex- <laughs> that line didn't make sense. Yeah, nope. But it all depends on do I have enough money? Yeah. Do I have enough fame? Do yeah. I have enough success? Are my kids obeying me? Whatever else it might be. Uh, and they said only 10% of your total happiness actually depends on your circumstances. Mm. So you have to figure out how can I be and in the Bible, we use the word joyful more yeah. often. How can I be happy in this state even when things are not going well? Yeah, that's good. All right, here's the next one. This one's very interesting because there's a follow-up to it. Here's the myth. Money can buy happiness. This is the actual truth. Money can actually buy happiness, but only about 10% of it. This mm. is interesting. So money brings temporary pleasure. It can lift us out of poverty-induced misery. I mean, there is some truth to that. That's like right. To move from not having any income to have meaningful work that brings, like, life wages, mm-hmm. livable wages, that does bring happiness. But— the lie is that we think we get to a certain income level and then we'll be happy. Mm-hmm. You've quoted this uh, survey before where people always say, if I could just make 10000 more, like whatever yeah, I'm yeah. at, if I could just make ten grand more, yep. then I'll be happy. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, they took every, like, people who made $10,000, people who made $2 million, and it wasn't 10000 more. If I could just make, to their number, 10%. if I could just make 10% more. Wow. So somebody making... 20 grand a year is like, I just need 10% more. Someone making $2 million a year in this same study said, if I only made 10% more. It's the idea that money is just this carrot in front of us that we never reach. We always think Mm. just a little bit more. Mm. Basically, research has shown that once our basic needs are met, additional wealth does not lead to any significant increase in overall happiness. Everyone's going, but I'd like to try. Let's experiment (laughs) with that a little bit. (laughs) That's funny. That's funny. Myth number four. Happiness is getting rid of negative emotions. Interesting. Truth is, happiness is not merely an absence of negative emotion. Wow. The World Health Organization defines health as follows. Health is a state of complete physical, mental, and social well-being and not merely the absence of disease and infirmity. Mm. This goes to speak to the fact that you can be happy in the midst of bad times. Totally. You don't have to – it doesn't all have to be calm waters – 
uh, this kind of also goes with your circumstances, right? Yeah. It it also, like, I had a friend yesterday who said she feels like some emotions are bad and some are good. And Mm. so she was like, I, I intuitively think of the good ones as happiness, joyfulness, et cetera. The bad ones are anger, sadness, et cetera. But the reality is, like, we need to have those negative emotions to give us information and to help us. So you can be happy without eliminating all those quote-unquote negative emotions. We need all of it in order to um, really have that full breadth of the human experience. All right, myth number five, happiness is only for special people. The truth is, happiness is not just for special people. It's not just for the lucky or the wealthy ones. Happiness is a universal human experience available to everyone. I think that that's just good to know. Like, even if you don't have a disposition towards happiness, you can cultivate that in your life. Yeah. And the myth number six, happiness is for those who know how to be happy. Hmm. Happiness is not just for those who are happier types and know how to be happy. That's the, you see that person who's always laughing, smiling. Yeah, they're that. just positive and a good what mood. What we've always learned is they're probably actually crumbling on the inside. But <laughs> So uh, true. It's the old th- thing that the, the studies found that comedians are like the most depressed. Yeah, uh, right. Just sullen people but Mm. they're really funny uh they say even though even those who have difficulty expressing happiness and showing positive feelings exuberantly can be joyful this Mm. is not a matter of like fake it till you make it yeah that's so that's biblical right there too all right myth number seven happiness is only for the present moment no the truth is happiness is not just for the present moment Happiness includes being satisfied with the past as well as being hopeful for the future. That's interesting to think about. This next one's important for you as you come up on yet (laughs) another year of age next week. Happiness is only for the young. Oh, good. Us older folks. (laughs) (laughs) The truth is happiness is not just for the young among us. It can be experienced at any stage of life. I think we know that, but I think... It's not that we don't believe as we get older we could be happy. It's that as you get older, you start to, like, have these regrets of, like, did I miss yeah, this? Did I not do this? And yeah. they're saying live in the moment. Right. And uh, and you could – I know people who are happier in retirement than they ever were. Oh, absolutely. Thing, so. In fact, there's – we talk about the U-shaped curve a lot in in uh, just different areas. Uh-huh. There's a U-shaped curve of happiness where satisfaction tends to be lower in youth and old age and highest in middle age. So I'm about Yay to hit us. my happiness like, <laughs> moment. I cannot wait for this. All right, myth number nine, happiness is only for the religious or spiritual. Happiness is not only for the religious or spiritual. Happiness can found through various means, such as mindfulness, self-care, and personal growth. I'm, I'm going to disagree with this one. You are. This says an atheist can be as happy as anyone who follows a religion or faith. That might be true, but I think inner peace, spiritual well-being comes Joy. from Jesus yes. Christ alone. Yes. Yeah. Number 10. Happiness is the ultimate goal. They said, Mm. the truth is, happiness is not the ultimate goal. Wow. Happiness is an important aspect of a fulfilling life, but it's not the ultimate goal. And they would say, meaning, purpose, and connection with others lead to a fulfilling life. And again, I think we would add to that a relationship with Jesus is going to give us the meaning, purpose, connection, everything that, and the joy that we're, this whole thing is trying to get us to. Yeah, that's good. One other thing they add, kind of a final word, is that happiness doesn't have to be all smiles and laughter. It can be a sense of calm and contentment. There are different types of happiness. That's a fun little list. It's not bad. To consider, help us grow in our happiness on this uh, Tuesday evening. Hey, well, we will be back again tomorrow from 4 to 6 p.m. For Brian Fromm, I'm Aubrey Sampson, and you've been listening to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. 
three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.